What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining us today is Chris Harder, who is a revenue guru and money expert. He hosts the top-rated podcast, For the Love of Money. Chris believes that when good people make good money, they do great things. As a very successful entrepreneur, he also believes that everyone has the right to an abundant lifestyle and the responsibility to help others have the same. His podcast gives listeners every tool that they need to be unapologetically successful. In many cases, money has been made out to be the villain. However, according to Chris, money's most important role is that it gives options and solves problems, and there are way too many stories of successful individuals doing great things with their wealth to make this world a better place that go unreported. Chris's goal is to expose those stories, thus giving his listeners the permission, motivation, and tips and tools to love and attract money, becoming a smashing success, and in return, empowering people to live generously in their earnings and in their giving. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be on, Brendan. Yeah, I'm so excited for this. And we were just chatting offline about how I found out about you and your wife and how you guys really inspired me on the personal development side. And today I'm very excited to jump in and talk about this money component as well. But before we dig in there, would love for you to share with me and the audience your background and anything from your upbringing that gave you either this entrepreneurial or money coach spirit. Yeah, for sure. So I'll give you kind of the, the real high level overview and anything that you want to circle back around on and do a deep dive on, we'll definitely do. Awesome. So I'm Midwest born and raised, which the really good part about being from the Midwest is you're given like really good foundational values to build off of good work ethic, good family values. Um, you know, like trustworthy, all, all those good core things. And I feel like if you can take those values to the coasts where all of the opportunity is, where everything's really happening en masse, then that is like the perfect recipe for, for massive success. And that's where we live today, except the journey to getting there has been like a roller coaster, if I had to use an analogy. You know, it's funny being from the Midwest, I always you know, I had an incredible upbringing, really good parents. They loved, loved us like, like no other parents possibly could. But we also had our fair share of, you know, weird money mindset things that were accidentally installed into us. And that's what most people, that's most people's scenario is their parents do the best job they can. Same with their teachers do the best job they can. Their coaches do the best job they can of raising them, except they can only teach what they know. And so I remember growing up, um, seeing my parents really stretch to the very end of their paycheck and then some to give us a really good life. And looking back as an adult now, I realized that they really stretched to give us a good life. And some of those habits carried through until Lori and I ended up losing everything, uh, probably like 29, 30 years old, somewhere around there. For, for reference, I'm 41 right now. And uh, so that was one of the examples of how what you see and learn as a child can really carry through in your habits when it comes to your money later. Other things though, good things like generosity. My parents taught us generosity when we'd be out to dinner. Um, you know, they would let us boys, my brother and I figured out the tip and, and explain why we're leaving a bigger tip than usual and, and what it means for that server to leave their family to come wait on our family. And same thing like we'd be at church and they'd let us boys put the money in the offering plate and it'd be more than the average family put in and they'd explain why we put more in than the average person. So, you know, there's some really good things that a parent will instill in you as well when it comes to money mindset. Now, here's where it kind of came to a head. Um, I grew up knowing two things for sure. Number one, for some reason, at the, my earliest memories, I was really attracted to nice things. Like I dreamt big and I wanted an extraordinary life. 
I knew it was inside of me. And at the same time, especially in the Midwest where things are a little bit more conservative, I was always told not to covet nice things, not to go for, not to be motivated by material things, not to let those things, you know, be important in life. And I was also taught, like I said, generosity. And I knew at a very young age, I was generous. Like I was the one that even in middle school and high school would use whatever little money I had to give it to somebody or to take my friends out to lunch or something like that. And these two things didn't reconcile for me. You know, how am I supposed to make enough money to be generous for other people, but I'm not supposed to be motivated by the things that motivate me. And that didn't reconcile for me. And you know that old adage when they say you teach what you need the most, that's probably why I have the show that I have today (laughs) for the love of money is that's really just me working through my my garbage out loud. Um, So one more feature of of my background I probably should give you is um, in my 20s, I flew up through, I got kicked out of college. I was excited. My parents were devastated. Got a job uh, at first at a car dealership where I learned sales and leadership. If you can learn those two things, I feel like you can write your ticket anywhere. Um, And then from there, I got into the banking boom that was starting to happen in my very early 20s. I actually talked my way into a job I wasn't qualified for and became one of the fastest rising executives in the world's largest bank. And it was like seven, eight years of the greatest atmosphere, positive, productive, driven, sales motivated, the whole nine yards. And then when the recession hit, of course, everything turned to garbage. And after spending a year flying around, closing down bank branches, it was my turn to take a severance package. And I took that severance package. And unfortunately, even though it was a huge multi six figure severance package, I had to apply the entire thing towards paying off debts, getting out of our house that we were upside down in. We had to short sell the house, walk away from our rental properties, get rid of the cars and literally start from below zero because I was young and I was arrogant and ignorant. And part of my identity was based on nice things and being a quote, good provider, really, really silly things, but nonetheless, that's where I was at at that time. And so while it was a really difficult time to go through, that was the springboard where we, when you're stripped of everything, you get to choose again. And that's where I got to choose. How do I want to add value in the world? How do I want to show up? That was the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey that everybody knows us for today. And it ended up being a really beautiful time in life. So we've been up, we've been down, and we've been everywhere in between. And that's kind of how we ended up here. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. When you share about your parents and, and their pa- and their money habits and how that impacted you, what would you say would be the number one sort of core negative money habit that they, without intending to, left with you that you've worked through on this journey? Probably, and that's a really good question, um, probably living beyond their means for you know, the extra nice house and the extra nice cars and all those things came with the extra big house payment and the extra big car payments and everything else where it was a balancing act for them. I can now see looking back as an adult, understanding how money actually works because I picked up those habits and rolled with them as an identity in my early 20s. And so now do we have nice things? Absolutely. But we have nice things on such a smaller scale comparatively to what our net worth is. And even things like measuring um, income instead of measuring net worth. uh, Those are things that were old habits that I had to break and reframe. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, income is nothing more than a tool to help impact your net worth, which is actually what you should be, should be measuring. So all sorts of things like that were things that I had to relearn. And when we lost everything, that's when I said, you know, I'm going to actually learn what the wealthy people do, the way the wealthy people think, what their habits are, what their beliefs are, instead of what middle-class people aim for. And now listen, this is where it gets touchy. Mm. This is not a knock on middle-class dreams or middle-class goals. What this is, is a wake-up call that if you are taught middle-class ways of being, the best shot you'll have is being middle-class. And that's in a country where the middle-class is disappearing faster than ever. And so we're going to wake up tomorrow and there is going to be no middle class. And so if you have middle-class goals and middle-class lessons, you're literally, your goal is to be a part of a non-existent class and everybody is going to end up as the haves or the have nots. Now we can't change that, but what we can do is determine which end of the fence we are going to end up on. And that's why I teach what I teach. I want everyone to end up on the side of the haves, of course. Hmm. 
Absolutely. It's, it's funny that when you talk about the net worth, I've worked with so many people one-on-one and I ask them that question, what is your net worth? And I, it's shocking how many times people say, I don't know what that means. Or they say 200 grand, um, but I have 200 grand in debt. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So zero. yeah, so zero, right? Um, so what, what would you say is uh, a good place for someone to start who came from a middle-class background and the middle-class is evaporating and they don't have tools or they don't have experiences or they think they're priced out of the 1% and they don't know how to get there? Yeah, so all you have to do is change your ways of thinking, change your patterns, change your habits, and change the tribe that you're hanging around. So let's start with, with the beginning of that. How do you really start to reframe what's possible and how to think and how to dream and what to do? Well, there's books. Books are a, an investment that anybody can afford. There's podcasts. Podcasts are free, so seek out that type of positive propaganda. There's you know, YouTubers you can watch on this. That's free. Seek out that positive propaganda. There's e-courses, like the one I built called The Money Principles. Uh, you know, that, that thing is literally built on how all of the millionaires and billionaires that I interview, how they think and operate with money, not how our parents taught us growing up. Um, there's Dave Ramsey, if you're familiar with him, he's got Financial Peace University. That's a fantastic course to take. It's a little bit conservative and I don't agree with everything he teaches, but I agree with 95% of what he teaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of very affordable or even free resources out there for people that if they want to change their situation, can dig into to start changing that paradigm, start changing that those lenses that they see the world through. When you start changing those lenses that you see the world through, now you're gonna to have to change something else you're gonna realize quickly, and that is the tribe around you. And here's why, and this is another touchy subject, but this is real life. It, when you set new goals, when you set new beliefs, and when you try and set new habits, they will all be sabotaged usually by accident, by your current friends and family and the current circle that you run in. And it's not because your friends and family are bad. It's not because they're trying to hurt you. It's literally accidental sabotage in most cases. They don't know what they don't know. And they haven't had the same wake-up call as you. And they don't have these new big audacious goals. And they are not on the same pace that you want to be on. And so when you crawl aboard this brand new rocket ship and you start heading up for the stars, they have a choice of either getting on the rocket ship with you or staying behind, but you have to go regardless because here's the consequences. If you don't, if all of a sudden you're inspired to do something bigger and you start to do the work to learn how to do something bigger and you start to see the world through those lenses of doing something bigger. If you stay back just to make your friends or family happy, and this goes for spouses too, again, touchy subject. If you stay back and play small, then you're damaging the relationship because you're going to be resentful and you're gonna be unhappy. Yeah. So you're not saving the relationships by playing small and staying back. Instead, you have a shot at fixing everyone's situation. If you go first, you lead the way, you bring back these new examples, these new, this new way of being, you kind of light up the path and show them what's possible. Because if you don't go, who the heck is gonna go? Yeah, yeah that, no, it's spot on. And so what did you do when you were going through that process to either an example that you're, if you're willing to be open about it, or just in general, when you felt either guilt or fear, all these things that me, I have in the past and my clients face when it's like their own mother sometimes, yeah. right? How, yeah. how, what was your experience personally of doing that in your career success, dealing with the naysayers along the way? Yeah, let me give you a couple of really good examples. Um, I was a partner in a mortgage bank and the mortgage bank was doing really well. And the people I was surrounded by, they didn't want to live life the way I wanted to live life. They didn't dream the way I wanted to dream. They didn't have uh, healthy habits the way I, I wanted to have healthy habits. We're talking physically, we're talking relationship wise, we're talking financially. And I knew despite my talents and my uh, you know, big desires that they were holding me back. And so I literally sold out of what was becoming a very successful situation. I sold my um, small stake in that mortgage bank to my partner and got out and we went off on our own. Now that mortgage bank exists today still. It does like two and a half billion dollars a year in loans. They're killing it. I'm so happy for them. But the toxic atmosphere of a lot of the people I was around made me so unhappy that I had to make the choice to leave that 
opportunity to go and choose opportunities that served me more, right? So I left what's comfortable for creating my own path. A better example is when Lori and I, so my, I come from a family where they show love through food. Like every, every football game is about what food's going to be there. Every dinner is about, you know, what's your favorite meal? Let me cook it for you. Aren't you having seconds? What's wrong with it? Like they show love through food and they're validated if you'd like their cooking. And Lori comes from that too. And being fit is very important to Lori and I. And yeah. so when we were trying to, to be as fit as possible starting 10 years ago, and we would go back home and visit family, it was really tough to be around family because we had very opposite goals and very opposite habits. Right. And it's hard to tell someone where their value system is showing love through doing X, Y, and Z, that that's not the way that you want to receive love from them. But we had to sit down. We had those conversations, not once, but time in, time again, time again, time again with, with my mom, with our families. And eventually showed them that, hey, there's other ways to show us love. This, we have to stay aligned with our goals and we can't come home and hang out with you guys if you're going to constantly push food on us. And we had right. to give that ultimatum. Right. Once again, this is where people go wrong. They're afraid to have those tough conversations and they're yeah. afraid to have them more than once. And they're afraid to give ultimatums and they're afraid to stand up for their way of life and the way that they want to show up in the world. It's yeah. more comfortable to make the people around you comfortable and for you to be the martyr. But in the long run, that's the painful choice. That's the painful choice. And your, your success will always be in direct proportion with the number of these tough conversations that you're willing to have and how often you're willing to have them. And that's the example that Lori and I lead by. It's amazing. What, what tools did you and Lori equip yourselves with um, through your own inner work to give yourself that strength and that power and that resilience to go to your parents and say, like, I'm going to challenge like a huge belief that you've probably held your whole lives because we want to be in this type of shape and we need to do something different. And I'm sure you've done this with other people in your lives too. Yeah. What work did you do behind the scenes so you could be in that position? A ton of work. I mean, the basic answer is this. We started going to the self-development events. We started reading the books. We started listening to the podcasts. We started hiring the coaches. We started joining the masterminds. Like we did the work. We participated. The lessons that came out of those things that we used in those conversations were lessons such as um, everybody sees the world through whatever lenses they have on. And those lenses are shaped by their experiences and their interpretations of those experiences. And so I can't expect somebody else to see the world the way I do. I can't expect somebody else to have the same goals as me because they've had very different experiences that have led to very different interpretations. Now, eventually they may see it my way, but chances are they may not. And so it's okay for them to have their opinion and their goals. And it's okay for us to have our opinion and our goals. And those two opposites can exist at the same time in the same world. Um, so it helps you to not take it so personal when you're sitting down and have these conversations and they don't see it your way, or it's really tough for them to understand. It doesn't turn into this, this pissing match of it's my way or the highway. It turns into you understanding that they see the world in a very different way. And right. it's your job to help explain how and why you see the world in the way that you see it. And, you know, so that's just like one of, of many lessons that have helped us navigate some of these decisions where you don't take it personal, but they can be very constructive. Mm. Really impressive and a great example that you're setting for other people out there with what you've done. Thank you. So, so thank you for sharing that. Um, I, and I obviously resonate so much with that in my, in the past few years, I used to work in a hedge fund and, you know, but working in a fund that was doing well, mm -hmm. but people who did not have ambitions to go to a billion dollars in assets and a very toxic culture. And I had a small equity stake and I walked away. And so mm -hmm. I just, I acknowledge you because I know that's not easy. It's wild, right? I mean, yeah. You know, it's easy to be, to, to be lured in by, hey, this is really going somewhere and, and this is all I know right now. And, you know, I'd be silly to walk away and look at the long-term payoff. But at the end of the day, how many days, weeks, months, years of your life are you going to waste being miserable just for something that might pay off later? There's always a different path. And, you know, it turned out great. Like we found a different path and, and made an incredible success story out of it. There's always yeah. a different path if you're willing to burn the boats and go find it. Yeah. Exactly. So we were talking a little bit earlier about how people can make that pivot from being capped at middle class to opening up opportunities for 1%. You mentioned there were a couple different things. One was changing the way we think, 
-hmm. and you answer that through books and courses and your online course, which we want to make sure that we talk a little bit about the end and get that link for our listeners. Um, but what, what else do you, were the other buckets that you were mentioning in terms of how people can make that move towards the 1%, especially if they don't come from that background? Yeah. So, uh, lots of affordable propaganda out there for them to seek and, and study. I, I think of some key lessons are this, like just some low hanging fruit is this. Yeah. Uh, number one, you have to really understand that there's like brand new truths about money in this day and age. Ones that didn't exist uh, or weren't truth, so to speak, when our parents and their parents were trying to you know, share, this is how you should grow up and live life. Here's a really simple one I'm sure most people can identify with. You know, the, the old plan was go for financial security. You know, get good grades, go to a good school, get a good job. And if you mind your P's and Q's and participate in your 401k and buy a home as soon as you can, then you're going to have a good retirement. Those are old rules. They don't work anymore. They, that is a sure formula for disaster causing you to go broke. I promise you. And people might hear that and say, come on, how, that can, how can that be? How did that turn out? Like, how did your home equity turn out in the last housing crash? Because we're going to have another one. It's cyclical. How did your 401k turn out in the last market crash? Because it's going to happen. It's cyclical. Um, how does playing defense, that's what I call that type of lifestyle, how does playing defense work for you versus playing offense where you are creating financial ability? Matter of fact, here's one of the new truths. Financial stability is a lie. It's a sucker's bet. Financial ability is what you are aiming to learn. And financial ability means things like knowing and understanding and loving your numbers. Like don't stick your head in the sand, get to know your numbers and get to understand them. Financial ability is knowing how to create multiple income sources. We live in a day and age where you must have multiple income sources yeah. or you're just waiting for disaster. Yeah. Financial ability is creating passive income or residual income as one of those sources. Financial ability means being able to look your family in the eye and if you were to come upon hard times or lose everything, look them in the eye and say, don't worry, I know how to get this back and then some. Like, that's where the real stability comes from. That's where the real strength comes from, is developing this financial ability. Uh, here's another one. We live in a world where most people think money is shared, money is exchanged, money is handed out. And that's not how money works. You have to yeah. learn how money works. Money is infinite. And I don't mean like some spiritual mumbo jumbo stuff. I literally mean mathematically, it's created out of thin freaking air. Um, if you worked at a, a hedge fund, you know this. Let's use Apple stock as a really simple example. Yeah. I buy Apple stock today for $200. The new iPhone comes out and you know everyone's excited about it and, and Apple's in demand and their stock goes up to $300. My one share of stock just went from 200 to 300. I created $100 of new wealth out of thin air. I literally printed money. Now, Who'd I have to hurt? Who'd I have to steal from? Who'd I have to take from to get that extra $100 of new wealth? Nobody. It was printed out of thin air. That's the world we live in. Same with your house. Um, I'm not advocating houses as a good bet, by the way. That's middle-class advice. But what I am saying is if you live in a home and you buy it for 400 grand and the appraiser comes by in a couple of years and says, congratulations, it's now worth 500 grand, you just printed $100,000 of new wealth out of thin air. You didn't take from someone, you didn't steal from someone. There wasn't this certain piece of the pie where somebody else is missing $100,000 because your house went up by $100,000. It's created every day, every minute, all the time. And so wealth thinking is this. You are entitled to as much wealth as you learn to create. And when that sinks in, the whole game changes for you. You are entitled to as much wealth as you learn to create. And that is the game changer right there. Mm. That's great. I want to build off of that, which is this kind of unspoken thing that, oh, you have to go steal from someone else to make money. You have to take it from somewhere else. And that to me kind of is under the umbrella of having wealth or being successful is a bad thing potentially. Yeah. And I know that's a big thing that you talk about on your podcast. And I want to segue to that now. And what is the biggest thing that helped you and that you help others with in terms of realizing that money can be a tool for access and for helping others and it's okay to enjoy life as well? And, and what's your sort of high level initial take on that? So 
I love this question. It's literally one of these new truths about money, once again, that your parents didn't teach you, and it's this. You have an obligation to be successful and create abundance. Now, some people might hear that and be like, what are you talking about? You, you can't tell me how to live my life, what my obligation is. This is a free world. It's a free country. I don't have to do anything. No, in this day and age, you have an obligation to create wealth. Here's why. When good people make good money, they do great things. That's literally the tagline to my show. I'm sure everybody listening, or they wouldn't be listening to a show like this, are really good humans. So if I was able to somehow tap into your audience, I do this when I'm on stage all the time, and I, I was able to ask them, how many of you have a cause that you care about? Everyone's hand would go up. Everyone has a cause that they care about. Right. And then if I were to say, okay, 100% honesty, how many of you have the money to make a real impact with that cause? When I do this to a crowd of one or 2,000 people, like five hands go up max, sometimes one. That's the state we live in. Everybody cares about making the world better, but they haven't done the work to create the tool, AKA money, to actually make the world a better place. Yes, if you care about inner city hunger, you can hand out a sandwich and that's a wonderful thing to do and I'm a huge advocate of that. But that's a Band-Aid. That doesn't fix the problem, that's a Band-Aid for a moment. You wanna fix the problem? You need a massive amount of wealth to actually shift the cause or the problem that you care about. So you have an obligation to become successful if you're a good person. You have an obligation to become abundant because your kids are watching. This is your chance to change your family tree. Your kids are watching your example. So do you want them to grow up and live paycheck to paycheck like you? Do you want them to grow up and watch you stretch to be in homes and cars you shouldn't be in? Do you want them to grow up and have the belief that money is hard or that's for other people that live on the other side of the hill or rich people are greedy? No, you want your kids to grow up and thrive and be comfortable and have security. Well, they're watching you and they're going to do and think what you are doing and acting right now. Same thing, your neighbors are watching you, your friends are watching you. You have an obligation to become abundant for them. You have an obligation, quite honestly, to become abundant because you were born on third base and most other people weren't. And here's what I mean by that. If you have access to education, if you have access, if you have decent health right now, if you have a brain that functions very, very well, then you were born on third base. And a lot of people weren't. A lot of people... Uh, may have a, 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 a mental challenge that you weren't born with. They may have a physical challenge that you weren't born with. They may have been born into a foster system that kicked them all around and they had zero shot, zero shot at you know, coming across the right ways of thinking and being. And so you need to do it for that person who actually does need a little bit of abundance shared with them because they probably don't have a shot at creating it for themselves. And that's the way the world's supposed to work. If every single person would actually play to their highest ability, then my belief is that there would be enough money and there'd be enough solutions to fix every single problem that we face. Except the problem is this. Most people, including me at times in my life and including a lot of people listening, they aren't keeping up their end of the bargain. They're playing small, they're staying comfortable, they're saying it's somebody else's problem. They're living paycheck to paycheck. They're not getting, they're not creating that income stream. They're not starting that business idea that they have because they're scared or they're lazy or they've fallen into bad habits or their, their, their circle that they run with says, oh, you know, misery loves company. We're all struggling. It's the way it is. And it's just not the truth. You have an obligation to become abundant. So, yeah. What you listed some different reasons why people aren't playing to their full potential. You mentioned fear, you mentioned comfort or hanging with the wrong uh, squad. What, do you, what would you say in your experience, you've seen a lot of people, you've talked to a lot of people on your podcast, you've lived a lot of this. What do you think is the biggest reason why people who are on third base stay there and don't go for the home run or don't go to the next level? They're comfortable. You know, good is the enemy of great. There was a time four and a half, five years ago that I read 30 books in 30 days. Do you know why I read 30 books in 30 days? Is because everything was good. Our marriage was good. Our home was good. Our money situation was good. Um, you know, my health was good, but none of it was great. Like life shattering, pinnacle great. Now here's the caveat. My wife was on that rocket ship that I talked about earlier to great. She was doing all the right things. Uh, hanging around the right people, doing the right projects, doing the work. And she was headed for great. She was getting there with or without me. And I started to realize 
that, wow, wait a minute, I'm going to wake up pretty soon and she's going to be way up here and I'm going to be way down here just hanging out at good. And that gap is going to be way too big for us to have a good relationship. We're not even going to be able to understand each other anymore because she's going to be living an extraordinary life with extraordinary thoughts and extraordinary habits. And I'm going to be down here doing just enough treading water to stay at good. And so I started searching for something to, to level up, to snap out of this funk of being good. Because yeah, if you're listening, being good enough is a funk. It's, you shouldn't be proud of being good. It's, it's a funk. It's a trap. Yep. Yeah, it's like, it's like halftime and you're not finishing the game of what you were supposed to finish. Yep. And so I started looking for a way to level up and I came across um, well, Ty Lopez. You probably know who that is. I had no idea who he was at the time. I know him well now. And um, there's that famous video where he's in his garage. He's like, look at my cars. Look at my books. These books mean more to me. And that caught my attention. I thought, if this guy is this successful and he can read a book a day every single day, maybe reading 30 books in 30 days would help snap me out of this funk. And I sat on it for about a week and every day it got stronger within me. So I went to Lori, my wife, and I said, babe, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm going to read 30 books in 30 days because I just feel like I, I really want to level up. And she never said anything like, thank God. <laughs> I know her <laughs> thoughts were, thank God. And she supported me in it and we cleared my schedule. And that's what I did. I read 30 books in 30 days. Now for context, I had never uh, finished a book by myself, cover to cover in my adult life. Crazy, right? So this was not like par for the course for me. This was not easy. I was the guy that would read a page three, four times and I couldn't tell you what was on the page. I couldn't pay attention to it. So I, a lot of gifts came out of that 30-day journey, uh, including, of course, the, the leveling up. Yeah. What, what book out of those 30 or what book in your journey and your growth and experience has most impacted you that you either gift to other people or really hit home and cause some big pivots for you? Yeah, so many of them. Um, there's a book called Tuesdays with Maury, and it's a true story. It's one of the most beautiful reminders of what life is really about, especially for us hard charging, you know, big dreamers that are really caught up in doing the do every single day. It's a beautiful reminder of what the most important things in life. And so that was one of the books that had the biggest impact on me. And I read it every March uh, because March is when I had started this 30 books in 30 days several years ago. I read it every March just as a quick reminder of what's important in life. It's awesome. I, I just get fired up and inspired hearing you talk about that 30 day challenge. And I know you're going to inspire other people who are listening as well. So that's amazing. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. There's so many other good books in there too. I, I could give you book recommendations all day. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, so we talked about kind of when people associate money as a bad thing. Now let's go over to uh, what we were chatting about before we started the show people having this fear of charging what they're worth or seeing their value. So you could see someone who's hungry, working their tail off, chasing money, chasing business. And then it's like, how much are you making? A hundred grand. I have 40 clients though, right? So yeah. how have you either in your experience or with people that you teach, coach and speak about, help people charge what they deserve and they're working hard, but also now making the income that correlates with that work. So the first thing is this, you have to understand that most of the time you're afraid to ask for your worth because you don't actually know what your worth is. Like you don't have a real way to determine what your worth is. Right. And when you don't have a solid understanding of here's what every hour is worth to me, then you feel like kind of a fraud picking a number out of thin air and trying to ask for it. So there's a, a formula that I've created to determine your exact worth. And it's this, number one, choose what you want to make for the year. Now we're gonna use really cheesy examples. So let's use $100,000. Then number two, I want you to determine how many weeks per year you're willing to work. Most people are gonna say something like 50 out of 52. Okay. Then I want you to choose how many days a week you're willing to work. And most people will say five or six or seven. We'll use five for our example. And then I want you to ask yourself how many hours per day are you willing to work? And most people say eight, nine, 10, some say 11 or 12, let's use eight for this example. So here's what you do. You add up the number of weeks, 50, times number of days, five, times number of hours, eight. In that example, it gives you 2,000 income producing hours. 
divide that into your annual goal. So if your annual goal is $100,000, mm-hmm. you now know that every single hour has to be worth $50 or you are losing money and you're going to miss your goal. If, you're, if your goal is $500,000 and you use the exact same hours, then doing the math, dividing those 2,000 hours into 500 grand, you realize that every single hour has to be worth $250 or you're losing money. Now, here's the key. Once you know your value, you can ask for it with a better posture because you understand this is going towards your annual goal or you're not going to get there. And you also learn the second most important rule, and that is if it's not joy producing or income producing at your value, then you must delegate it. Why are you cleaning your house when somebody else could do it for 20 bucks an hour? Why are you mowing your yard when somebody else can do it for $15 an hour? Why are you washing your cars? Why are you going to the grocery store? Why are you doing these things to quote, save money when it's really actually costing you money? Because that's a Saturday you could have been using for income producing hours. That's a Saturday you could have been using to recharge with joy producing uh, you know, experiences. experiences yeah. Once you know your number, you should literally like feel guilty and ashamed if you are doing any activity, unless it brings you joy, if you're doing any activity, it could be hired out for below that number. And that's the equation to truly getting your worth and, and hitting your number at the end of the year. Now, another reason why people start to feel guilty, even once they know their number, let's say your number is hundred bucks an hour and you're a coach. Um, when people start to feel guilty for charging that hundred, let's say they're charging 50 right now, it's because they've got their own financial set of lenses on that they're viewing the world through. They're not applying the other potential clients set of lenses in terms of how they see the value in that coaching. So what I mean by that is this, if you're kind of financially tight right now, you might think a hundred dollars an hour is a lot, but if you offer coaching services and it's the, the kind of coaching that a guy like me needs, I'm going to think a hundred dollars an hour is a drop in the bucket. I'm going to think you're underpricing yourself. So you can't apply your financial paradigm, your set of lenses that you're seeing the world through, the way that you value money to other people's opinions of your service or your product. If they see the value in it, they're going to see it with their financial paradigm. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about the the trade-off and the hourly rates, it reminds me a lot of when I did work on Wall Street and meals were delivered, cleaning people came and did all that stuff. And I do that now. And it's just, it's a good reminder that can, I need to continue to elevate who I surround myself with because some people in my life still look at me and they say, oh, you know, you're, you're doing this because you're having a cleaning lady come in because you think you're better than someone else. Or, that's you know, a real so, thing. They shame yeah. you for it. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, so thank you for being a positive reminder, obviously, to everyone who's going to hear this, but also for me too. I really appreciate that. You know, it's when I hang out with uh, my friends that are doing very well financially, all, all my wealthy friends, none of us lift a finger on anything that has to be done unless it happens to be joy producing. Like sometimes washing a car is therapeutic for me. When yeah. I had a big lawn, mowing the lawn was therapeutic for me. So in yeah. those cases, if you enjoy it, great. It's joy producing. For sure. But if you want a common thread of how the wealthy think and act, none of us lift a finger on anything that somebody else could be doing for less than what our hourly value is. I haven't seen the inside of a grocery store in years and neither has my wife. Yep. All meals delivered for me through Instacart, having a personal assistant dictate emails to them. Once I shifted my outsourced my inbox on my emails. Yeah. Thank you. Again, great reminders. Next question I want to go to is, You've talked a lot about generosity, giving, having a bigger mission, bigger purpose as a core driver for creating wealth and maximizing your abundance. And I couldn't agree more. I see people a lot of times though, very afraid to give even when they don't feel like they have a lot. And I've heard people like Tony Robbins say, well, if you can't give a dollar when you have a thousand, you're not going to give a thousand when you have a million. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you've ever seen people actually doing well, but afraid to give because this fear that maybe they'll lose it all or they won't be able to regenerate. Oh and, yeah. It's yeah. a real thing. So yeah. I love the way you frame this question too, because you're not saying what about the people that feel like they are barely getting by right now and they're afraid to give you're saying, have I seen wealthy people where not their good. old beliefs and habits are still 
making them fearful to give? And the answer is, heck yes. I have a couple that I'm friends with. They are significantly crushing it um, to the tune of multiple eight figures per year. They still have trouble. They follow through, but they still have trouble doing things like going in on a gala table for 50 grand with us or going in on, you know, whatever it may be. Like they'll still try to divide up the check. It's old habit. And then they'll catch themselves out loud. They're like, this is my old thoughts. Yeah. At one point they're very, very broke, right? Yeah. So they're like, wait a minute. These are my old habits. These are my old fears. Never mind. Here you go. But people still suffer from these things even after you've transcended your sticky situation. It's like the person that loses a lot of weight, when they look in the mirror, they still kind of see that old, heavier person, even though like, you know, you're looking at a fit person, but you, all you can see is your, your areas that you think are still fat. It's the same thing with your mindset. So what happens? It's your duty. These things never go away. I just think we get better at catching them and reframing them. I'll give you an example. Um, judgment used to be a, a crippling thing for, for me, right? So um, I would judge like worse than probably anybody. And the worst part about being judgmental is you think everyone's doing it to you too. So then it makes you really insecure. It becomes this horrible sabotaging yeah. circle. Yeah. So judgment will still come up for me. And I had this whole thing in Costa Rica where, you know, it totally did a 180 and I totally, for the most part, was able to stop judging people, but it'll st it doesn't mean it went away. It'll still happen. It'll still come up for me at times. It's just now I'm able to catch it and reframe it really, really quickly. I no longer take it and expand on it and go all the way down the rabbit hole as with it being a, a way of life. Mm -hmm. So the same thing goes for your money mindset. Same thing goes for your health habits, whatever it might be. I don't believe that the sabotaging beliefs ever fully go away. I believe that you minimize them as much as possible and then you become really good at catching them and reframing them like in a split second almost subconsciously exactly just narrowing that gap so you can see it identify it that's so good do you have any kind of or have you had any kind of like morning or evening routine like a, a blueprint of some sort that you would regularly do like meditate read work out that oh, has do we ever yes <laughs> i feel like this listen to everybody listening there is no easier part of your day to control than the first 10 minutes of your day. Even if you're like, no, uh, I wake up to, to kids that are jumping on me, wake your ass up earlier. There is no easier part of your day to control than the first 10 minutes of your day. So, I mean, here's literally what we do. Um, when I wake up, I always seem to wake up first. I wake up and I'll immediately roll over to Lori every day of my life and say, babe, I'll kind of shake her by the shoulders. I'll say, babe, I'm happier, healthier, wealthier, more fit than I was yesterday. It's our mantra. I've been saying it for years. And I'll make her say it back to me. And she'll kind of mumble it back because she's half asleep. And I'll say, say it again like you mean it. So it's like a love-hate thing. And she'll say it back to me um, in a way. And I'll make her say it until she means it. So she'll say, I'm happier, healthier, wealthier, more fit than I was yesterday. Then I'll roll over immediately. I haven't even gotten out of bed yet. And close my eyes and just say a really quick 60 to 90 second gratitude prayer, which is really just taking inventory of whatever I'm grateful for in that moment. And it's so different every day. It's so juvenile. And that's the best part about it. It's a real inventory of what I'm grateful for in that moment. So it'll be things like, um, I'm so grateful that I woke up today. I'm grateful that Lori's next to me. I'm grateful that my dog Waffles is laying across my legs. I'm grateful that uh, I woke up in this beautiful home. I'm grateful that I'm in Southern California. I'm great. And then it, it kind of expands. And it's like 90 seconds of this quiet inventory that I'm taking. Now, Look what's happened. I started my day with a mantra. I started my day with a gratitude practice. By the time my feet hit the floor, it is impossible, impossible to wake up on the wrong side of bed because I've chosen the set of lenses that I want to view the world through at least for the morning, right? So my feet, my feet hit the door. I'm two minutes into my day and I'm already crushing it. I'm already seeing the world as like Mr. Positive. And then we created this rule because I would walk down the stairs and open up Instagram. So we created this rule because you never know what you're going to see when you open up your phone and, and that can really start to um, have an impact on you yeah. uh, of pages before swipes. So as we come down, make the dog food and grab the coffee, we are not allowed to open any stuff on our phone, no texts, no uh, social media, no anything until we've read at least 
10 pages of a book that we want to read. Now, here's the cool part. 10 pages turns into 20, turns into 30 because, you know, it's something good. But you have to have a measurable rule. Like, I can't grab that phone until I'm 10 pages in right. or more. So now, in the first, I guess in this example, 20 minutes of my day, I have done nothing but choose what type of thoughts, what type of propaganda, what type of energy I am starting my day in. Then we uh, do meditation. It was something that we were having a hard time doing on a regular basis. Uh, so I used an app called Waking Up. It's an awesome app. It's really kept me on track. Mm -hmm. And um, all the meditations in there are like 10 to 14 minutes. They're not long at all. I'm way too ADD to, to do the long stuff. And uh, then we go to the gym or some form of exercise. This is all before we started our day. Now, this is during what we call our protected time. I'm not kidding. That's what it's called. Nobody can get a hold of us during this time. We're not doing any work during this time, in, except for like our closest friends and family. That's it. And when you build this container of protected time where you're putting yourself first and not letting anything else or anyone else in, then you are filling up your cup, so to speak, so that you can give to everybody else the yeah. rest of the day from the part of the cup that's flowing over, not, the, not this feeling of being resentful and tired and behind and like you're on everybody else's agenda. Right. And we don't take a single work appointment until 11 a.m. every single day, not a single one, except for Oprah. So Lori has the Oprah rule. If, if Oprah <laughs> wanted to talk to her, that's the person that she would take before uh, 11 a.m. And now I, I don't want to lose other people in the story. I don't want them to be like, oh, it must be nice. I'm not to that point yet. Don't make excuses. Don't try and replicate our story. The point is find your own protected time yeah. to fill your cup up and give from the part of your cup that is flowing over. That might be very different from you. It might be a shorter amount of time. It might, make, it might be two chunks of time. It might be two containers. But that's how we start our day. And then how we end our day. This is important for the entrepreneurial couples out there. Um, owning lots of successful businesses together is not a fun, sexy thing. You're talking about hiring. You're talking about marketing. You're talking about numbers. You're talking about problems. You're talking about budgets. You're talking about things that you argue over, bicker over, all this other stuff. And so to come together again as a couple every single day and to change our state from business people to lovers again, we have a mandatory, and I mean mandatory, schedule it in every single day, um, one hour dog walk. Now again, find yourself in my story. If you don't have a dog, I don't expect to hear your excuse. I expect you to build this container in a way that works for you. Yeah. But we have a mandatory one hour dog walk. We cover like three plus miles in that one hour. And it's that physical change of state. It's leaving the, the place where we just did battle all day. It's changing the energy. It's creating that container where we know every single day we're going to have an hour to talk about anything that needs to be talked about that helps us come together as a couple again and not remain business people in a business atmosphere all day long. That thing has been an absolute game changer. If it's raining in Santa Monica here, which it doesn't rain very often here, but if it is, you'll still see us out walking. That's awesome. Super inspiring to hear you share that and what you and your wife have built. It's very, very cool and impressive and just I'm just like I, I want to keep going but I also I'm like boom I want to go just crush the rest <laughs> of my day so I, I appreciate that uh, a question for you I have found it easy to find people in New York City because the importance of surrounding ourselves with the right people I could just feel that if me and my girlfriend you guys come to New York City we go out for dinner we're gonna all go off on our ways and be like superheroes yeah. What some of the people that I've coached have had a hard time finding is people who are both financially abundant and have that personal growth attitude. So for example, I can pull out my Wall Street Rolodex and find zillions of people making eight figures at big private equity firm, big hedge funds, so on and so forth. A lot of them do not take care of themselves, have good growth practices, et cetera. And as I'm sure you could predict, I, I can go to like a meditation group in Greenwich Village, find super happy personal growth people who are like not living your money principles. Yeah. They almost wear broke like a badge of honor. Exactly. Yeah. You call it spiritual bypass or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Ridiculous. So, yeah. So how ha have you and Lori found people who kind of fit both? Um, where have you guys gone? What have you done to 
create those people around you in your life who kind of wear both? We're super intentional about it. We, every year, make a list of the type of people that we want to meet that year coming up. We do this on New Year's Eve. It's, we have the funniest New Year's Eve. We say no to all the party invitations that we get. We've been doing this for 10 years. We stay in, we order tons of sushi, wine, everything. And just the two of us, we plan our income for the next years, for the next year, and then build the set of tracks backward how we're going to get there. We write down the types of people that we want to get to know um, that year. So either the exact couples or people like them. Uh, we reflect on our wins for the year. And it's like this, this exercise that is setting us up for, okay, here's who we're going to meet. And here's what we're going to accomplish in this next year. And it is one of the best things that we do. So when I say we're intentional, but I mean, we'll take out this list and we'll literally be like, all right, we need to find a way to add value to these people's lives. Or we need to reach out to them, see if they want to get a workout or reach out to them, see if they want to grab a dinner. And it's scary. And not everybody says yes, but you step up to bat anyways and half say yes and half say no. And the gift are the half that say yes. That's how intentional we are about seeking out the right types of people. And we are, we are so stringent. And especially my wife, she, her no muscle has become insane. I'm not kidding. It, it inspires me. My no muscle is, is not strong enough yet like hers is. We have become insane about only hanging around the people that feed our value system, that feed our goals, that feed our energy. So Lori classifies them. This has never been shared before. This is funny as energy adders, neutrals, and energy suckers. Mm. And being a neutral is not good enough. We only want to hang around energy adders. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so cool. So, uh, okay. <laughs> um, who out, out of these people, let's say this year or in the past couple of years, you've been proactively reaching out to next level people. Some say yes, lots say no, or some say yes, some say no. Who has most impressed you of someone maybe recognizable that listeners would be able to know or have heard about? Who have you sat down with for a workout, a lunch, a dinner, you and Lori, or you've met and they gave you more time that you were like, you know, this person's even at their level, they're underrated, or they just really impressed you and touched you in some way? So many people. Um, you asked for somebody recognizable. Jay Shetty. We've gotten to know Jay over the past year and a half. And um, he is the absolute real deal, as gracious and incredible and powerful as they come. Uh, he is one of, you know, a hundred examples that would fit into the question that you're asking. That would be recognizable. People will surprise you. Um, you know, back to your question about money is evil and all stuff. Listen, the people we hang around that are massively successful are also the most generous human beings on the planet. That is a common thread that runs through them all. And I'm telling you, 99 out of 100 people that are absolutely killing it financially in life, their generosity muscle is very well developed and they're using it every single day. Hmm. Any other common threads that you see in these high level people, in yourselves, in people like Jay, that you see are like, oh, I'm seeing a pattern here. We're not afraid to do what people think is weird whether it's going to a woo-woo camp in Costa Rica, whether it is a weird morning practice, whether it is um, saying no to things or people that other people would say yes to. Um, a common thread of nobody hangs around individuals just because they think there's opportunity there. That's, by the way, when you're trying to make it, you're, you're up and coming, you find yourself hanging around people just because you think that there's opportunity there or they're shiny. Nobody, once they've made it, hangs around shiny people unless they truly align with their value system. It's really incredible. Hmm. I actually, I got that lesson because I went to the Super Bowl back in February uh, through one of my clients inviting me. And I, I said, you know, I start getting cell phone numbers of NFL players and they're texting me and we're meeting up. And I learned really quickly that I don't care if you played in the NFL or NBA or whatever, if you're not in the same value, you're just going to suck energy and totally. you know, to, to your test. And that's, I'd much rather be with a positive energy person than someone I can say. And I was living in my, yeah, shiny. Exactly. Yep. It's so true. Cool. So um, let's, let's start to wrap up here. What would you say is your next level? Where are you going to be personally challenging yourself to elevate to? I'll tell you what, we have two 
companies that we are opening this next year that are unlike any kind of company that we have uh, built before. You know, we've built mostly service-based companies up until this point and grateful for how well they've gone um, in personal brands and, you know, a mortgage bank way back when. Uh, but we're opening up an alcohol company and we are opening up um, something else I can't tell you yet. And they're going to be companies that we have to raise capital for. They're going to be what I call big boy companies, right? You don't, you don't bootstrap these things. You come out of the gates hard and you know, you got to take a lot of no's. You got to raise a lot of money. And there's a whole lot at risk. And it's also the, the nine figure home runs. And so for the first time in this next year, uh, we're going to be opening up big boy companies and it's scary and intimidating and fun all at once. Very cool. Uh, what would you say you are most great? I know every day your gratitude list is different, but what would you say at the core when you think about your life and what you've been through and what you've created, you are most grateful for to this point? Um, my wife hands down and, and that can be construed as an easy or cheesy answer, but the habits she expects out of me, the example she sets, the pace that she sets, how big she dreams, um, those have been gifts that nobody else has been able to give me at the level that she's given them to me. And so our extraordinary life has so much to do with her extraordinary way of choosing to live and it rubbing off on me. Mm. Yeah. I mean, who you, you probably spend more time with your partner than anyone else in your life. So listeners, you really do. You know how some people do, some people don't. Yeah. We're the type that we could be on an Island together, just the two of us and be perfectly happy. So sometimes it's a bad thing. We have to force ourselves to get out of the house and go have separate lives. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, what just tying it back to money. I know we talked about a lot of personal growth stuff, but going back to money listeners, um, in addition to consuming your course, what, what's the name of your course again? It's called the money principles and they can find it at the truth about money.com truth about money.com. The money principles course, your podcast as well. In addition to that, any sort of general advice that you would give listeners in terms of improving their wealth, their generosity, and their potential? Yeah, it goes back to the Tony Robbins quote that you used earlier. Start building that generosity muscle early because yeah. just like Tony says, if you're not going to give a dollar of a thousand, you're not going to give a thousand when you have a million. Yeah. And it's so true. There's no faster way to feel abundant. There's no faster way to feel of value. There's no faster way to, to remind yourself that, you know, love and generosity are the best gifts on the planet than to, even when you're living paycheck to paycheck and a hundred grand in debt to stop and give somebody that $5 that they need or buy someone's groceries or give a dollar, right? Everybody could give a damn dollar because you'll find another one. In fact, there's a huge homeless population out here in, in LA and uh, especially in Santa Monica too. And so I, I watch these people on a, on a daily basis. What's incredible is they give each other money. They give each other half their sandwich. I mean, this is a daily thing that I watch. They give each other, even though they have nothing, they give each other more than all the tourists and all the wealthy people and all the middle-class people walking by them, put, turning their nose up at them. It's amazing. It's we incredible. can, that's, that's a, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, we can learn from everyone. Yep. Yep. We can learn from everyone. Very cool. So, um, Chris Harder, thank you again so much. Where can people find you, your podcast, your website to yeah. learn? So the podcast is for the love of money.com. The, um, only platform I'm hanging out on these days is Instagram. So find me at Chris W Harder. And I've made this promise that I will answer every single business or money mindset question, uh, that you guys DM me. And so, um, sometimes it's a tough promise to keep up as your audience grows, but yeah. it's one that I really enjoy because talking business and talking money mindset with people out there is, is almost like the equivalent of me watching sports, which I love. You can see Aaron Rodgers back there in the background. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah, DM me your questions. I love answering them. Chris, thank you again so much for coming on the show. You dropped so much value, so much knowledge. I personally have my own takeaways from this conversation. We got tons of listeners who I know are going to benefit so much from this. So thank you again so much for your generosity today. Hey, Brendan, thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. You're a great host. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcast app or in Spotify. 
Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level, and you want access to me, as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendaneachburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content, as well as live coaching calls every two weeks, hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.